0: I think when you're young, you know, again, you think you're invincible and you think, you know, injuries aren't going to happen to me. Um, Even when you see it happen to other people, you always look around and you go, that's never going to be me. But I think as we get older and we get wiser and uh, we experience more, uh, the reality starts to settle in that we're not invincible and that we do need to do things that are going to help us have a a long and successful career uh, or a long and successful life for that matter. Hi, this is Angelo Todaro, Performance Director at Parabolic Performance and Rehab here in New Jersey, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Somm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. But you can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Uh, This week I'm back at Parabolic Performance and Rehab, and I'm interviewing the performance director, Angelo Todaro, and today we're going to talk about a little bit different topic than we normally have on the podcast, which is because we're usually talking about people overcoming injuries, but now we're kind of talking about um, preventing these injuries from happening in the first place, and um, Angelo has a background in uh, strength and conditioning for uh, professional athletes, collegiate athletes, and now he's kind of may found his way into nutrition, so we're going to talk about kind of what he does with the combine athletes here and what he does um, to his own clients uh, to to keep them healthy in in the game so Angela, you want to start off by i don't know how you want to you know kind of work this when we're talking about building a body of resilience so that's going to be the theme of this podcast today so I thought it was kind of like if we kind of built it like a house like what would each you know, kind of facet B, but if you have a different way of kind of explaining it, that makes more sense to you, or you think the listeners will, um, find that more, I don't know, what's the word easy to learn, comprehensible, um, then, then, then go for it. So how would you build, where do you start when you're trying to build an athlete of resilience?
0: Now, I, I really liked how you, you know, you broke it down, you know, when you handed me the, the, the questions prior to they had, you know, what what's the foundation, what's the support beams and, you know, the furnace and the electrical panel, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really big on uh, analogies especially when trying to describe, you know, really, really complex topics and trying to get those complex topics into someone who, you know, may ha- not have the scientific background to understand those things. And I think analogies are great ways to, to convey that stuff. And uh, it helps people understand these complex complex topics and it really makes a lot of sense to them. Um, so I, I think like the way you broke it down is a really, really good. Um, okay. You know, the first thing, you know, what, what's the foundation, you know, because uh, whenever you're building anything, whether it's a, you know, a career, a human being, a car, you know, the the foundation and the frame are uh, probably the most important thing that you can do. It's probably the things that you don't see, the things that aren't so sexy. Uh, but at the end of the day, that, you know, that's what everything is built on. Right. And if you don't have, you know, that solid foundation and solid frame, uh, it, it's hard to get those those really fine, you know, uh, end, of the, end of the line details on. Um, so, you know, most important, you know, Having good general health, I think that's uh, probably the the most important. A lot of that is, uh, you know, has to do with luck, but a lot of it has to do with, you know, also how you take care of yourself. Like not getting sick, you mean, and like that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, you know, that goes back to like a lot of different things. So it's more than just, you know, do you have a cold. But you know, are you a healthy individual? Do you have you know good, good blood profile? Um, you know, are are all your organs and, and hormones uh, working like they're supposed to be? So you know, the, the human body is a really really complex system. It's a it's a system of systems, and all the systems talk to each other and they're all integrated. So you know, having good health would be you know all those systems, whether it's you know uh, your nervous system, your skeletal system, your muscular system, your immune system, um, all those things are in check and they're working like they're supposed to. Um, You know, there's a lot of different ways to kind of figure out if you're healthy or not. Uh, A good way is to just go to the doctor and just get some blood work done. Um, And that decides, you know, at a baseline level on paper, you know, without taking anything, you know, too specifically, are are you healthy? And Uh, you could
1: tell like stuff about your organs with that stuff too or... Sure.
0: I mean, you know, whenever you go in for a really comprehensive physical, I mean, they're checking everything from, you know, your heart to your lungs to, you know, uh, hormonal functions of, you know, a lot of different things. Um, so, you know, we're making sure that, that all the systems are in check. Okay. Um, you know, you got to make sure that those are taken care of as a baseline level because uh, it doesn't matter how strong you are or how high you can jump. But if your heart doesn't work well, um, probably, you know, that, that that's not going to be a good outcome right there. right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, okay, so that would be the foundation. So if we're trying to build like... So, so what's the next step? So well,
0: I, I think there's even more that goes into that foundation than just, you know, general health. You know, you got to have uh, a lot of good general qualities like uh, general movement. Um, you know, that's something that's really important that, you know, everybody who comes in here to Parabolic, we first check them, they check their movement at a baseline level. Uh, a system that we like to use is called the functional movement screening. Yep, FMS. Yeah, the FMS. Uh, you know, it's been around for a while and uh, I think some people uh, are starting not to use it right now because it's almost too simple, but uh, we like the simplicity of it. So you know, every human being has that those general movement qualities that we'd like to see. So whether you're a high performing athlete, or just an active adult, we want to make sure that y- you can move at a baseline level before we worry about, you know, the specifics of movement, right. um, and, and that will transfer into everything from from daily life over to, um, you know, over to the sports field.
1: Can you explain a little bit what like an FMS test looks like? Sure. Uh, there's, I'll, I'll put it up in the show notes so like people can refer back to it and kind of see a video or something.
0: Sure. There's uh, uh seven patterns that uh, the FMS looks at. So it's a a, a deep squat pattern, uh, an inline lunge, um, a hurdle step. So stepping over one thing, uh, stepping over an obstacle, uh, standing on one foot. Um, a, a push-up stability test, uh, a shoulder mobility test, um, a, a leg raise, which is checking a lot of things. A lot of people think the leg raise is just looking at hamstring flexibility. It's really looking at more core control, oh, interesting. um, and, uh, something called rotary stability. So making sure that the, the left and the right side of your body are attached the right way, you know, through your core. Um, you know we take people through these through these tests and the test doesn't say you know if they're gonna be a great athlete or not. it just says you know do they have the movement foundation and are they compensating in, in, in any way right. um, you know, whether they can do the test or not, we're looking for the compensations. And one thing we're also looking to, to rule out is, is any pain. Uh, we want to make sure that, that people can produce these 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 seven motions uh, well and, and without pain because if they can't do these very simple and general things without pain, uh, it's hard to do, you know, really complex things without compensating and trying to avoid that pain.
1: Right. So, like, what do you think leads to people, like, athletes? I, I'm thinking of young athletes who come in, like, I've worked at a physical therapy place and the kids can't even, you know, barely lift their leg off the ground because their hamstrings are so tight. Like, mm-hmm. where is the line between... You know, being tight in terms of like having your ligaments and stuff like protected, and being mo- mobile enough to move efficiently to run as fast as at,
0: at like your optimal speed. You know, like is there like a balance or? Absolutely, there's a balance, and and before we even look at the balance of mobility and stability, we want to see are they even in a good position. Because a lot of the times, flexibility issues, especially when when you see them, like in the hamstrings, it's a really common one that people can look at and that people, a lot of people can uh, grasp uh, with their mind. Um, has to do with you know positioning of their pelvis, positioning of their ribs, positioning of their spine, and if those are in a bad position, it's hard to move even like moving your hamstring. You want to think of it like uh, you're in a race. Uh, if you're in a race and you're not even lined up at the start line and you're 10 feet behind the start line, you're in a bad position before the gun even goes off. Right. So a lot of the times those those movement issues may look like uh, that your hamstring is is uh, is short, But really it's not your hamstring. It's short. It's really you know your pelvis is in a bad. Position. So that's something that, that we look at too. Um, a lot of our coaches here are certified in, in, in the PRI principles, and PRI is a, a really great organization, the um, uh, Postural Restoration Institute out of uh, Nebraska. And uh, it this model was originally developed for, you know, physical therapists to identify any postural issues and how to address them. But now it's, it looks like that this model and this system is transcending, you know, all of, all of movement and now a lot of strength professionals are using this system as well to evaluate, you know, what uh, position um, are the muscles and the bones in before they even start moving. So before we start worrying about how stable a joint is or how mobile it is, we just want to see, are you in a good position to start off with? Because if you're not in that good position, it's going to be hard to really do anything well.
1: Right. And like you're saying, good position, like when you watch them squat or when you just watch them through that FMS screen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I guess my next question is like when someone comes in here, they obviously, you know, especially when you see all the combine prep stuff, you see people run 40s and lifting heavy weights. Like if you have an athlete that comes in here and you can see that like some glaring – you know, compensations that they're doing or glaring areas of tightness or whatever, or lack of good movement, you know, where do you first start with that, that athlete? Like, do you start, you know, lifting weights that day just to like keep them happy? Or do you, you know, address that issue first?
0: You know, we mentioned balance before, and I think balance is a really good way to describe, you know, our approach with how we're going to do that, especially with, you know, high performing athlete. Um, high-performing athletes thrive in an environment where they can really, you know, exert themselves. Um, and if we're just focusing on basic remedial things and we are never getting into the stuff that, that that's hard and heavy, um, we may lose them. And um, and I mean by lose them is lose them mentally. We want to make sure that you know they're bought into the process. So it has to be a balance of you know that remedial work that we're looking for, the stuff that's probably not so sexy. You know, those breathing exercises that are going to help align their pelvis. Um, and a good mixture of you know those harder, faster you know jumping, explosive, and and strength exercises. Right, where you're
1: sweating and feeling like you sure did something.
0: Yeah, you know we can't we can't just you know throw them in the fire and and, and just hope everything resolves itself. But at the same time, we just can't stay all with the remedial work. So it has to be a good blend. Right. Um, and that and that kind of just comes through uh, experience and kind of gauging you know what we can do with certain individuals.
1: Now, would you do that like the remedial work post workout or? Uh, before it's, the workout. It,
0: when done well, it's done kind of throughout. So throughout, it's done okay. it, It's done in the beginning, it's done at the end, and, and it's done um, all throughout. Because we want to make sure that we're not just saving that stuff for the end. We don't want to improve their movement all the way at the end just to have them walking out the door well. Okay. You know, we want to restore good movement early on in the session. So when they're doing their big bang for their buck exercises, they're sprinting, they're squatting, they're, they're heavy lifting, they're jumping, explosive exercises. Okay. They're performing those motions well. Um, and if we're not making sure that we're putting them in the good position before – it's gonna be hard for them to do those you know really hard and really intense things that require a lot of effort uh, well,
1: okay? Um, so would you say that's like the culmination of the foundation of building
0: a resilient athlete? Sure. I mean, you know, if we have good general health, good general movement, and, uh, I think a good attitude goes a long way too. So attitude
1: of like leadership captain, as they say, and <laughs> remember the Titans.
0: That's right. You gotta have, you gotta have a good attitude because, uh, if you don't have that, you know, it's hard to, hard to do anything well. Okay. Yeah. I, I completely agree. So
1: let's move on to the support beams. And maybe I kind of got ahead of myself before, but I feel like I was kind of, going in that direction um, in terms of, like, stability and what is it? Mobility? Like the balance of mm-hmm. the two? is that have is that have anything to do with the support beams? Or?
0: Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, when I look at the, the word support beams, I think a lot of, you know, what's specific to, to that person and, and what's specific to their sport. You know, different sports require different qualities. Uh, some sports like uh, gymnastics require, you know, extreme flexibility, extreme mobility, uh, whereas other sports probably don't require so much, uh, but they just need a little bit of it uh, enough to keep themselves healthy. So, you know, that Balance of mobility and stability is going to be really dependent Sports upon the specific. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be really dependent upon the person and the qualities they're trying to to achieve. Uh, the way you know we view that here is. Uh, early on especially with our youth athletes we want to make sure they have those good general qualities all around Um, you know we're not big proponents of early specialization in sport Um, you know over and over again we're starting to learn that early specialization and uh, repetitive sports throughout the year without getting a good well-rounded background in sports uh, is leading to overuse injuries and burnout so we want to make sure that they have a good general um, you know mobility and stability, so you know, they have good general sport beams before we worry about the specific ones okay. um as they start to specify in their sport like our combine athletes, we want to make sure that you know they have good mobility and good flexibility and good stability, uh but just enough for their particular sport and even more for their particular position
1: okay interesting okay so when for when we're talking about sports specialization,
0: like when is a good
1: age to start you know specifying in a sport you know like is it when you get to college, like I know a lot of good athletes that played division one sports, but they played multiple sports in high school. It wasn't just the one sport that they ended up playing in college.
0: Uh, that's a really, really good question. Uh, some, some people didn't tell you, you know, that they should specialize as early as eight years old. If they ever want to have success in a sport, you know, I highly disagree. And you know, that's my opinion, but you know, I think, uh, uh, later high school years is probably when, when, uh, specialization should happen. You know, usually what you see through middle school is that, that most people, uh, or the ones who are doing it well, They'll participate in in, in seasonal sports. Uh, You know, they'll play sports that are supposed to be in those traditional seasons, and uh, they're not playing sports out of season. Once they get into high school level, um, they'll try to continue their their athletic career, you know, through those sports. And uh, most of the time, because of uh, the way the interscholastic sports are set up, you know, there's certain fall sports, certain winter sports, they'll, at most, they can play one fall sport, one winter sport, one spring sport. And they'll find where, you know, their, where their passion lies, where their skill lies and uh, what they want to do and what what they seem to be good at. And I think that's probably best when specialization happens. Let's call it, you know, uh, 14 through 14 through 17. Okay. Um, you know, we, we were just actually just talking in the other room that, you know, Urban Meyer, one of the first things he looks at is he wants to see multiple sport athletes and he wants to see them all the way through uh, through high school. So that even in their senior year and their most important year of, uh, of high school football, they're still playing um, a, a winter and a spring sport. Interesting. So when you have athletes that come in here, like, and you do an FMS
1: on them, do you find that athletes who play multiple sports perform better on that screen or? individual or like individual specialized sport athletes
0: we don't see it too much in the screen because during the screen it's hard to it's hard to cheat it it's really based upon the person more than anything i think the activities that they participate in uh will influence it in some way but uh without any uh specific remedial work based upon those qualities it's hard to change it in any way Uh, i think we see that more when we actually start moving them around when we start doing things like uh, you know our dynamic warm up, when we take them through things like crawling and skipping, okay. uh, we go through our bigger motions like pushing, pulling, and squatting. Uh, you know that's when we'll really see who are the athletes exposed to a lot of different movement patterns, and who are the athletes who are really good at a few, and complete, and the others are almost completely foreign to them.
1: Right. It also kind of reminded me of because I'm a football guy at heart. So when I'm thinking you know, winter lifting, like that's when you get big and then you go play baseball and then you just try to fight to keep, you know, anything that you just gained in the winter if you don't lose it all. So, like, what do you recommend in, in that kind of situation? You know, like if if you have hopes of becoming a Division One college football player but then you're playing baseball in the spring and not really lifting or, like, do you
0: what, – what do you recommend? Uh, you know, that's when – I think more than ever now – uh, in the world in which we live in, you know, there's so many options for what you can do. Uh, you know, you go back, you know, a couple of decades, you had one opportunity to play football, uh, and that was really it, and one opportunity to play basketball, and it was there during that season. Um, now kids, you know, have the opportunity to play any sport at any time throughout the year, so I think it really comes down to, you know, prioritization. And saying, hey, you know, this is what I'm going to focus on. This is going to be my priority, right. and then these are going to be my my secondary things that I'm going to work on. Um, so, you know, if uh, if you're saying yes to baseball, you might be saying no to you know five days a week in the weight room, but uh, you know that's okay. Um, I think uh, you know weights and strength. They can be developed as sports are being played, um, especially during sports that don't require you know large amounts of you know physical abilities. Um, and you know there's sometimes where maybe you shouldn't play sports and just focus on you know weight room and and go outside and and play. You know play is something that's really important that uh, I think is something that's getting lost in all this structure. Right. You know we're a company that's based on uh you know teaching kids how to. Uh, or teaching kids and athletes how to exercise and how to exercise in a really structured way, but at the same time, you know, going outside and and, and just playing and exploring their bodies uh, are something that's that's really important to development uh, of any athlete. We see this a lot in less developed countries that that play um, and free play, you know, without you know without structure, without it inside a sports organization, is really helping them develop. And uh, you know, even though these countries lack you know more formalized uh, and structured training, they're still producing really really good. Athletes athletes. So, uh, you know, to back to your, There's origi- something
1: to be said about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, back to your original question. I think, uh, I, I think prioritization is important and just figuring out well, what do I want to focus on now and what am I saying yes to now? Uh, and by saying yes to this, I'm, I, I, I can't do everything else.
1: Right. Okay. I like that. So you want to move on to the, the furnace. So that's like, I guess I think of that as like the engine that kind of makes, so you, you have the, we have the foundation with the, the mobility, and the then we have the support uh, beams with the stability, right? And then, what do you think about the furnace? Like, is that going to the nutrition, hydration? Yeah,
0: I mean, when I saw first saw that, you know, the furnace, I was thinking about, you know, um, you know, fuel and, and and how you fuel your daily activity. Um, and this is probably going to lead into a lot of nutrition topics, but That's I fine. think uh, I think that we're um, we're not prioritizing fueling correctly. Okay. Uh, I think that there's uh, a lot of nutrition concepts out there that are bastardized and used incorrectly. Um, and people, especially athletes, are not fueling themselves correctly uh, throughout their workouts, throughout their training. Um, they're not giving themselves the, you know, the proper recovery. Uh, you know, uh, I look at food in, in, in two ways. You know, definitely it's going to help the general health, uh, but you, know, you have to look at you know, how is it going to fuel and how is it going to help uh, athletes recover.
1: Yes. Recovery is something that I've never really quite understood, I guess. Like, and it's not like a sexy thing either. Like, you know, like in the gym, you could push yourself until you freaking drop. And that's like an easy thing to show. Like, yeah, I just, you know, killed myself with this workout, but the recovery part, it's like, it's, it's like almost intangible. Like it's hard to know if you're on the right track of, of doing that. So can you kind of give us an example of like how athletes need to recover, you know, to if you're going into a game or into just for if you're on in a training you know cycle or something,
0: yeah, I mean the as, as strong as as powerful or how much muscle we want to put on, you know, that's only going to be as good as the recovery that happens. You know, we don't get any stronger inside the gym. Uh, you know, that that's going to happen after. Um, in fact, the, all, all the training actually makes you weaker because, uh, if, um, if I told you to, you know, squat as many times, a certain weight as many times as you could until you were completely fatigued and burnt out, uh, you're be far weaker after we did that than, than when we first started. Right. Uh, it's the recovery after that's going to decide, well, how much stronger are you going to get? How much muscle is going to be put on How much, uh, you know, how are your ligaments going to be built back up? How are your bones going to be built back up? So, you know, the recovery process is something that, like you said, it's, it's, it's not as sexy and it's very intangible. Um, you know, the, the weightlifting process or the training process for that matter, you can see it, you can feel it, um, and, it's, and it's very active. Um, whereas recovery seems to be a little less um, active um, and more passive. But um, it's very active for the people who do it right. You know, the people who actively figure out, well, how do I make sure that I give my body the right resources, such as, you know, food, hydration, and now a huge one that's really, really overlooked is sleep. You know, sleep's now now starting to be probably the number one performance indicator as to how you're going to recover from strenuous activity like training and practice. And like how much
1: sleep do you recommend people get or athletes get?
0: For, you know, for the normal person, I'd say, you know, eight hours would be a good minimum Um, for athletes, especially the young growing ones, you know, if they can hit, you know, nine, 10 hours a uh, a day, um, you know, that would be fantastic. Um, You know, sleep is is directly related to uh, releasing, you know, these uh, hormones that are that are really anabolic, like, uh, like human growth hormone and testosterone. So when they're sleeping, they're making sure that they're increasing their recovery capacity every human being has a unique recovery capacity, whereas some people can recover really well and some people can't. Uh, but whether you have a really high level or a really high threshold to do that or not, uh, you need to make sure that you're giving your body all the the chances to do it well. Um, especially for the ones who aren't the genetic freaks, right? No. So I'm just thinking in terms of sleep, like, do you have anything
1: that you do to try to maximize your sleep? Like any kind of like little tricks?
0: Uh, everybody's different because you have to build good sleep habits. I I think, um, you know, whether it's nutrition or training or, or sleep, uh, we are a product of our habits. You know, we're, we're creatures that if we repeatedly do something over and over again, our brain tries to take the path of least resistance and tries to put us into autopilot. So, uh, I I think making sure that we have good, good sleep habits will lead to actually good sleep outcomes. Um, you know, for me personally, uh, I try to stay away from the electronic devices early on. Uh, especially like towards, uh, you know, a couple hours before sleep. Um, one thing I've been doing recently is uh, as soon as I walk in the house at night, I take my phone, I put it in the charger in the kitchen and it doesn't even come with me in the bedroom. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people use I, for an alarm, uh, an alarm clock. Oh, I, have a, okay. I have a $10 Sony alarm <laughs> clock that I, that, that I bought, uh, novel. Yeah. Uh, you know, I tell that to a lot of people and I say, you know, leave the phone out of the, uh, out of the bedroom. And they say, well, how am I going to wake up? You know, how, what am I going to use for an alarm yeah, yeah, clock yeah. And just, you just know, go, an <laughs> go anywhere and, you know, get an, get an alarm clock. That's funny that I didn't even really realize that, but you know, that that's one of the things that, you know, I make sure that, you know, I limit electronic devices, uh, try not to watch TV in bed, try not to like eat in bed, you know, try to make sure that that bed is for sleep. Right. Um, you know, making sure that you know the room is is quiet and dark. It, that that's something that's really important to sleep quality. And you know, making sure you're not not leaving the television on, you know, all night while you're sleeping. Uh, making sure that you know windows are covered up, and the you know sunlight and other you know street lights. You know, we live in an urban environments, are not you know coming through um, and limiting those things. So making sure that the environment's good. Um, it seems also that low temperatures are better for sleep than high temperatures. Uh, this is something I've seen in a few places. I'm not too sure if it's you know scientifically backed or not, but it seems that if the room's a little bit colder at night, that people do seem to sleep a little bit better than in a hotter environment. So I always may, feel like
1: I'm really hot when I'm like sleeping. Yeah, I, before
0: sleep, just turn the turn the thermostat down a couple degrees. It you know may add to to better sleep. All right, I'll give that
1: give that a whirl. Um, so let's talk about we're still on the fuel topic, so let's go back into the nutrition. So can you give us some ideas of like things to eat as fuel and then things to eat as recovery, like in terms of like supplements and just like a normal, if I was going to eat lunch before a game, like what would
0: would I eat? Sure. But I mean, before we even start talking about supplements, I like to take a really uh, big food first approach. Okay. Um, You know, we don't eat, Nutrients. We eat food that happens to have nutrients in it. So when I like to talk about food, I like to talk about it um, as people perceive it and as they, as they deal with it, Um, you know, food's really broken down into, you know, three basic macronutrients. You got your carbs, you got your proteins, and you got your, um, uh, your fats. Um, And and food sometimes isn't inherently like one or the other, but sometimes it's easy to talk about it in, hey, you have your, your meat, which is going to be your protein. Uh, For some people who don't eat meat, you know, like vegetarians and vegans, there's other options for that. Uh, But for competitive athletes who are participating in, excuse me, in strenuous activity, it's hard for them to get enough protein if they're not getting it from animal sources so they just they really need to pay attention to to their protein intake right um, you know carbohydrates and and now you know fats are starting to become a uh, uh, big fuel sources um, I, the way i like to think about it is your carbohydrates are going to be fuel for your intense activity on a scale of one to ten you know uh, 10 being the hardest thing you've ever done in your life and you know one being sitting on the couch anything above like a six or a seven uh, you should be thinking of getting in some carbs and the closer it is to 10 uh, the higher the volume you should be getting in Um, you know carbs have been demonized for quite some time and uh, only because you know uh, carbs are a great fuel source but if we don't use them our body has no choice but to make fat out of it. yeah and for the most part uh, a lot of people are sedentary people, so they eat a lot of carbohydrates and their, their activity level is really low, and uh, they happen to put on some excess body weight, and so they're blaming the carbs when it's really they're just they're over and, and they're under moving. So right. uh, it's not really the carbs' fault. It's really you know a combination of a lot of things <laughs> that are leading to their weight gain. Right. Um, but you know, for uh, an athlete competing in 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 anyway, you know, uh, they need to make sure they're getting in uh, high carbohydrates, especially the ones participating in intense activity. Um, If not, I mean, they're, they're really not doing themselves a lot of service. Um, They're not giving themselves the the fuel that they need to make sure that they're doing uh, as well as they can in practice and in training. And, uh, really we're just an outcome of a bunch of practices strung together. You know, we want to make sure that they're optimizing the, the effort and the quality of each practice, uh, because that's going to be how much better they're going to get at their particular sport or in the weight room. Right. So, uh, you know, anytime there's intense activity, you know, we want to make sure that there's some carbohydrates happening after, um, for those hard gainers out there. So that people are interested in, you know, putting on some muscle mass and it seems to be difficult. Uh, carbohydrates are really, really important in that recovery process too, um, you know, uh, it's really important to really load up on, on those carbohydrates before and after weight training sessions in addition to the protein. I think, we, you know, we talk a lot about protein and, and people see, you know, all the powdered protein that, that, that they take. Um, and that is important, but without the carbohydrates, it's hard to optimally uh, put on muscle.
1: And like absorb it, I guess, or
0: um, it, putting on muscle is an energetic activity. Uh, okay. You may not see it, but on the inside, it, it's hard for your body to produce muscle without the adequate carbohydrates to actually do that.
1: The intangibles. Yeah.
0: Can you give us an example
1: of like a meal? Like what? Like you say, protein and carbs. But like, what kind of protein and carbs should athletes be eating?
0: Um, you know, I'm big on quality first. You know, we want to make sure that we're getting foods that number one, um. I want to prioritize natural foods over processed foods. Uh, I'm going to prioritize fresh foods over um, over packaged foods. Uh, I'm going to prioritize homemade foods over commercial foods like foods found in a restaurant or a store. Um, so if you have a food that's that, that's natural, um, if you have a food that's uh, that you made yourself and you had a food um, that's, that's not very processed, you know, I'm I'm all for whatever options there are, you know, for carbohydrates, there's, you know, you you have your oats, you have your brown rice, you have your quinoa. um, And now there's like other grains that are being readily available, like quinoa, um, faro and things like that, that, you know, maybe 10 years ago was really difficult to get, but now are very commonplace in most supermarkets. Um, as far as protein, you know, we want to make sure that we're getting in uh, a lean balanced protein, uh, preferably not processed and, you know, preferably if you can from a, from a good source. Um, you know, Meat is, you know, animal flesh and that animal is going to be made of whatever it was eating. So conventionally raised uh, animals seem to be stressed a little bit more. They're not given the resources and the nutrition resources to so they can build um you know, good fats in, in their tissue, uh, and they may bring on uh, a couple other things, like now all of a sudden, the, all meats have, you know, no antibiotics on them, and uh, they try to say that, you know, this animal was raised in a humane, ray uh, a humane way, way. they want to make sure that, you know, what's going into the animal is going to go into the meat, and what goes into the meat is going to go into, into you, you yeah. yeah, so you want to make sure that that's coming from a good source. So you're saying go organic, if, when possible? <sighs> when, when, when possible, yeah, and I don't think organic is as important as much as, like, uh, especially with, uh, like, beef, you know, grass fed meat um is definitely something that that's uh now pretty commonplace and if that uh animals eating good grass-fed sources um there's more nutrients inside inside that uh are you one of the people who buy like a whole cow and like this Put it in the
1: freezer. It's then... funny
0: that you asked that. So so uh, me and my wife recently have a house now. And uh, one yeah, of the you things. you got room for it. Wh- I, have a, I have room for it now. And one of the things on my shopping list is a, a big deep freezer so I can buy, you know, meat in large portions and, you know, s- save a few bucks on it. Cool. Uh, it's it's But, you know, I don't want the listeners to to think that, you know, if they're not eating organic, they're doing some, themselves a disservice. Uh, but, you know, if possible and if your resources allow you to, uh, you know, go that route. You know, if not, it's okay. But you know that there could be better choices.
1: Okay. And I think it's time to, it's a good time to talk about supplements. You know, we kind of, we talked about, you said real prioritize real foods mm-hmm. first and try to get your nutrients from there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with athletes, you know, pushing themselves to the limit that sometimes might not be enough or it might not be convenient, you know, for their schedule or whatever it might be. So how do you guys approach supplements, especially for like your combine athletes and, um, to other athletes that, that come in here?
0: Um, you know, first in in a general sense, uh, I look at food supplements first. So you said, you know, convenience, um, a few that come to mind is, you know, powdered whey protein. I look at protein, especially the powdered kind as, uh, being very convenient. So it's a really easy, portable way to get, uh, protein, uh, into the body and, and do it in a way that doesn't even require cooking. So, you know, you could take protein, throw it inside a shaker, and then after you're done, you throw a little water in there and you drink it and you're good. Um, so, you know, I consider whey protein more of a food supplement than anything. Uh, another one that comes to mind is uh, fish oil. So, you know, fish oil over the last couple of years, uh, because of, you know, the the amount of omega threes that are in there, uh, really help in in so many different ways. You know, we talked a little bit about general health before. So it's going to help everything from, you know, brain function to hormonal function, to keeping down inflammation in the body. And inflammation is something that happens at at a cellular level. And it also happens at a, you know, at a bigger level, like inflamed joints and things like that. And um, we're starting to see that, uh, high levels of omega threes, especially when taken daily, uh, lead to low levels of inflammation in the body and have a, a whole host of you know beneficial health uh, uh, effects. What, do, um,
1: what does inflammation do? to like an athlete like if, if it's something that they're eating like how would that affect their performance
0: that, that's a good question so you know when whenever we have inflammation in our body that's a a sense that you know things are not going right uh it's the first step towards injury or disease so if we're stopping chronic inflammation from happening so this is low level inflammation that's happening every day uh this may stop you know this may stop uh, a much bigger injury from happening. This may stop things from just like general irritation, like aches and pains. Um, so if we can control inflammation, we have a little bit more control over like the damage that's being done to the body because inflammation is part of the, the recovery. Um, athletes are putting themselves under tremendous stress, so there's definitely inflammation going on. If we can control it, and again, inflammation is not a, not a bad thing. It's only bad if it happens in high amounts for too long. So if we can reduce inflammation and we could put foods in that uh, reduce the inflammation and don't let it be a chronic thing over long periods of time, you know, we could possibly, you know, prevent an injury or possibly even prevent a disease. You know, chronic inflammation over long periods of time or, you know, lead to really, really nasty things like cancers. Um, and there's a lot of athletes that have been sidelined by things like that. Um, and uh, you never really consider that as a, as a threat to your athletic career.
1: Right. Um I guess what I was kind of thinking was how do you know if your body is like inflamed like what are some signs that you, maybe you could see or is it like more in your in terms of your performance
0: um, there's, you know, you could check that at a cellular level with some simple blood tests. Okay. So that goes the, back to the blood Yeah. Tests, the, right. There's some simple markers, um, like C uh, C-reactive pro- protein and homocysteine. Uh, these are things that are checked on normal blood tests and they see like, does your body have this overall inflammation response? Um, And a lot of people, especially with, you know, poor diets, lack of sleep, uh, going under tremendous amounts of, you know, mental and physical stress have elevated levels of that. And it's just not setting their body up for, for long-term success. At some point, something's going to break down. Uh, You don't know what or when, or even if it's going to happen, but the fact that there's these red flags happening, you should pay attention to it.
1: Interesting. So that's, Basically, everyone should get a a blood test just to kind of see like a baseline of like what's kind of going on.
0: Sure. I mean, you can feel totally okay, but a lot could be going on uh, on the inside. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I'm a big proponent of regular physicals. You know, when we're children, we go to the doctor, you know, every six months. But then at some point, you know, that ends and we'll only go to the doctor when we're sick or we're hurt. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, uh, especially once we reach adulthood, we should just be going maybe, you know, once a year, once every year and a half just to make sure things are going okay. Right. Uh, As you get a little older, maybe cross, you know, like four. 40 years old, you know, maybe going once a year or every six months just to make sure that everything's in check. Okay. Uh, You can prevent a lot of stuff and early detections, uh, huge for deciding, you know, how uh, well you're going to deal with any any disease or illness.
1: Okay. So, what do you think about like pre workout stuff? Like, and they'll explode, like that kind of stuff. And then, is there, and what about like creatine? In terms of supplements,
0: um, <laughs> those loaded questions you just asked, Kevin. So, what do you mean? Um, I mean that you know, what do I think about you know everything from no explode to creatine? Yeah. I think, um, I think supplements are exactly what they, what they say they are, their, their supplementations to good diet. So let's assume, you know, somebody's diet's in check. They're getting, you know, adequate amount of carbohydrates to fuel their, fuel their diet, uh, fuel their activity. Uh, they're getting the protein required to, to match whatever growth they need. Uh, they're getting good fats in because fats are, are huge. Uh, <clears throat> fats are another one that's been demonized too. You know, if you grew up in the eighties or the nineties, uh, you know, people have talked about how bad fat is, uh, you know, everybody from the American heart disease to, to doctors are, are backpedaling on that. We're starting to understand that dietary cholesterol is not a bad thing. In fact, it actually leads to good hormonal health. Um, and we want to make sure that we're getting adequate fats in our diet. Uh, but let's say all those things are, are, are okay. Uh, you're getting good vegetables and, and, and good plant matter in. Um, you have to figure out what supplements am I going to need that are going to help me with the things that I'm doing. And there's a whole host of supplements out there. Some are proven to work and some are not so proven to work. And we want to start off with the ones that we know yeah. that are going to do stuff. Uh, one that, you know, uh, also gets a bad rap is, uh, is creatine. Uh, I think, you know, if you're participating in strength training in any way, uh, that, that creatine can be a great friend. Um, as long as it's taken in moderation and you don't have any, uh, you know, pre-existing kidney issues, uh, creatine can be great to helping you gain strength and at the same time putting on good quality mass. Um, and it's also even seen to spill over into other beneficial uh, health properties like having uh, good brain health, they're starting to see that with seniors taking creatine, to a- actually perform better in, in cognitive tests. I'm the one with the brain injury, so I, maybe I should start
1: supplementing with that. So. Yeah,
0: they, they, they said <laughs> that creatine, you know, especially in the senior population, is showing that to have good, you know, neurogenitive uh, effects. Cool. Um, and... Uh also, you know, uh even shown to have some anti-cancer properties. So um again, as long as you know there's no preexisting kidney issues that you can, you know, process the creatine and you can flush it from your system, you know, five grams of just some regular creatine monohydrate, you know, is great. Um another good one is uh, beta-alanine. So anytime that you're dealing with any sport or training that requires uh intense repetitive activity over and over and over again, so really taxing your anaerobic system. Uh beta alanine is another supplement that that's shown to to work really, really well. Um, one of the things that happens when you take beta alanine uh, for most people is they get the thing called parasthesis, where their skin feels really tingly and electric. So they oh. want to know like what that is, <laughs> um, and it usually passes by you know really really quickly. But you know beta alanine is just uh, it's a derivative of an amino acid, so it's pretty natural. It seems to be pretty safe uh, for the most part. But uh, I think you know taking those things can definitely help. Um, that would sound scary. You, you hit on <laughs> you hit on pre workout. Um, I think. I've never really found anything like
1: there's a lot of I've th- taken them before, but I don't really see a difference.
0: You know, there's a lot of things that people you know swear by their pre-workout, and I really think it's mostly the caffeine that that's in there uh, that that's really getting them going. Um, and usually, what you see in pre-workouts is that they are combination supplements. So uh, they're selling you one supplement that has forty seven things in it, three things that work two things that might work, and 40 things that don't. You're paying for all of them, plus the shiny label. Right. So, you know, my... Uh, advice to anyone looking for any supplements is to get single supplements and make your own what's called like, like a supplement stack. You're saying, hey, before I'm going to take my creatine and my beta alanine. It's pure creatine and pure beta alanine. And you know right? what's going in and it's not coming along with a bunch of artificial sweeteners, colors and a bunch of uh, horny goat weed and, and uh, uh, <laughs> drops of wizard's beard that uh, you may not know that, you know, you may not know where it's coming from or actually what it's doing. Uh, the supplement industry is a very, very unregulated industry. You know, Let's
1: hope that's beard hair in there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you, the, the, supplement, the supplement industry is extremely unregulated. People put anything in there to make a dollar. Um, but for the most part, you know, find a trusted company. Uh, you know, the NSF certification is something that uh, especially I tell the professional athletes to look for um, because the professional athletes have a lot on the line. Uh, There's a lot of money getting thrown around in the livelihood of their family and they wouldn't want to take a tainted supplement and uh, have to put that at risk. So uh, NSF is just a certifying uh, body that uh, tests the supplements. They test the factories and they make sure that what's on the label is what's in it and nothing else. Right. So I think that's uh, th- that's really important, uh, especially for the ones who are really trying to make sure they're not putting anything that they shouldn't be in their bodies.
1: Yeah, it's probably a good rule of thumb whether you're a professional athlete or not, because then at least you know that you know what you're getting, as opposed to like you said before, there's some companies that might not be as honest as others
0: absolutely you know you're paying for a lot of their marketing too I think uh, I think that's something that's uh, infiltrated the supplement world really really hard is the amount of marketing that goes into these supplements you know, they, uh, some of the supplements say, you know, they'll do everything from, you know, put on, you know, 20 pounds of mass to, you know, increase your speed and your, uh, your reactive ability. So um, I I don't believe a lot of that. I think, you know, get a really, really solid diet built around, you know, plant-based foods, uh, protein from lean sources and making sure that you're fueling correctly with carbs and with fats. Uh, Then once that's under control, figure out the few things that you want to take that you think that are going to help you through your training. um, And also the things that are proven to work as, as opposed to the things that might be a little wishy-washy.
1: Right. I like that idea of kind of like making your own concoction of stuff that you know is good. Sure. Um, my last question before we move away from the creatine topic is my own personal question. Sure.
0: Like, are you supposed to take it before or after you work out? Um, with creatine, They've shown that it's really not too important when you take it. So if you're taking it at any point throughout the day, um, your body seems to absorb it pretty well. Uh, If you really want to make sure you're covering all your bases, what I would do is take it about uh, 30 minutes before your training, uh, possibly with a a little bit of a sugared beverage uh, like some fruit juice. Um, just to increase absorption but other than that i think uh, if you're taking it at any time throughout the day you're hydrating well uh, it should be absorbed yeah and it,
1: it, yeah that's always been like a conflict Cause i always thought that I was you're supposed to take it before and then other people are like no you got to take it after this i'm like oh I don't
0: know. There's theories as to why you should take it before or after. You know, it's probably more important that it's going in and going in regularly than anything. Okay. Uh, my personal opinion, I think, you know, 30 minutes before with, like I said, a lightly sugared beverage uh, can definitely help absorption and uh, it's probably making sure that it all goes in.
1: Okay. Um, so you guys are prepping for the combine for with, with some of your athletes. So, like, what
0: are these guys eating on a daily basis? So, what our combine athletes are eating. Uh, is we like to set them up with uh, a meal service that we found uh, and that we used last year that was great. Uh, They're a local company called Eat Clean Bro uh their website eat clean, their 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 website is eatcleanbro.com uh they're an unbelievable company uh the the owner Jamie you know he started off you know doing meal prepping for you know his his friends at the gym uh you know a few years ago and then they started this company uh they deliver all over the new jersey and the new york city area uh and they have a really really great menu of whole foods made from good sources that taste fantastic and to meet all kinds of needs you know we have everyone from, you know, 180-pound defensive backs all the way up to 330-pound linemen. Um, and the meals are customized based upon the person um, and based upon their goals. And, um, you know, I, I haven't seen a lot of meal companies do it as well as, as this company. Um, we understand that this is a time that, you know, they don't have a lot of time on their hands. So, you know, uh, relying on a, on a good company to provide their food uh, that's made fresh... Um, That's a a really good resource for, for someone going through this process to have. Um, and also at the same time, they're college kids. They don't really have great cooking skills. Uh, so, you know, if they, let's let's be honest, if they, if they can get an affordable meal that meets their nutrition requirements, um, loaded with, you know, good vegetables, good proteins, good carbs and good fats, uh, you know, that's a win all around. So now
1: now do you guys pick like as the performance coaches, you guys pick what they're going to eat or do they pick what they're going to eat? So
0: I do most of the nutrition, uh, coaching for, for the players and based upon their body composition goals their likes and their dislikes we go through the menu and I help them choose like saying that you know hey this would be a good lunch to consider and this would probably be something you know good for dinner whether their weight needs to go up or their weight needs to go down or they need to maintain Uh, we take a look at the menu and again the way eat clean bro uh, structures their uh, their menu they do it in a way that there's meals for people who need to gain weight there's meals for people who are active and need to maintain their weight and meals for people who are less active and need to lose weight so um, wide variety stuff all tastes fantastic. And so it makes it really easy because something that we've noticed before is that compliance is huge. So if it doesn't taste good, they're not going to eat it for very long. And if they're not going to stick to the plan, that's not a very good plan. So we need to make sure that the plan is something that they're going to be able to stick to. Are you guys worried about like calories? Like do you guys count calories? Um, Not really. Again, I'm not big in, in counting calories or weighing food. Uh, I, I think that's just not a long term sustainable way to look at food. I think sustainability—that's a good descriptor of that. I agree. You—the way I do it is—is is using uh your hand to dictate portion sizes. Um, you know, people of different sizes have different sized hands. So smaller persons had a smaller hand. A large guy wish a, I had
1: bigger hands. <laughs> has a larger hand.
0: Um, you know, I'm schooled in the precision nutrition uh, um, uh school of. Of nutrition coaching and uh, they have a really, really simple system that um, a serving of protein is about the size of your palm, uh, a serving of vegetables is about the size of your fist. Uh, a serving of carbohydrates is what can fit in one cupped hand, and the serving of fats is about one thumb. Uh, for a male, um, you should get about two servings of each. So, two palm servings of protein, uh, two fist-sized uh, uh, servings of vegetables, uh, two cups of or two handful cups of of carbohydrates, and two thumbs of uh, of uh, of fats.
1: And this is like per day. Or, or per meal, per meal. Oh, yeah, per, okay. per
0: meal, and then based upon your your uh, body goals, um, we alter and also based upon your body type. So I like to uh, cre- I like to make sure that we're looking at body type to dictate how people are going to eat. Uh, it seems that like uh, people who, <clears throat> excuse me, are are endomorphs, and endomorphs are you want to think of uh, linemen. So these are big, huge guys who really, really easy for them to put on muscle mass, but they happen to have a a lot of extra fat. Um, They probably need to eat a little less carbohydrates and a little bit more fats uh, as opposed to your ectomorphs and your ectomorphs you want to think of uh, like your DBs and wide receivers. So these are people who are extremely lean, uh, but it's difficult for them to put on muscle mass. A lot of the times they're coming to me and they're saying, you know, hey, how do I put on mass? Uh, They're going to need a little bit more carbohydrates uh, and a little less fat.
1: Yeah, I have a buddy who's he did some bodybuilding and stuff, and I was amazed at how many carbs he like was able to eat and like still stay like shredded. It was amazing to me, but I guess like you said, that's kind of how it works. Um, all right, so kind of stepping away from the nutrition aspect, what what are like some glaring weaknesses that athletes come in here with, like especially you know even the D one guys who come in to the the combine training. Like, what is there anything that's
0: like? common like throughout all of them or is it? Um, I'd say some common things that we see are, are you know going back to a couple things I hit on before. Uh, postural issues seem to be um, seem to be common. A lot of people are what's called in an extended position where uh, their pelvis is tilted forward, uh, their ribs flare out and they're put in a position that really really compromises you know their low back and their ability to produce power. So um, this is something that we do with a lot of our clients is making sure that we're uh, correcting that alignment and uh, addressing that before we get onto the bigger stuff. So I'd say that's a pretty common one. and just like I talked about before they're, they're good at the things that they've done and they have ignored the things that they're not good at and uh, what gets people to the next level and, and keeps them healthy is making sure that they're a good well-rounded athlete um, so you know looking at their weaknesses identifying them and then actually working on them and that, that's really hard for people who've had such uh, good successful athletic careers yeah that's it, not fun yeah it's, yeah. Not, it's <laughs> not fun for them to, to come in day one and for us to point out all these things that aren't going well yeah. um, but unfortunately we're trying to get them to a place that very few actually get to, um, so we have to look at those weaknesses and we have to identify them. And we have a really, really short period of time, so they better have a good attitude about you know looking at those weaknesses, being able to address them just as much as they, uh, just as you know, try as hard as that as they do enjoy doing the things that they enjoy doing. Um, and if we can do that, and we can clear things up, and and get a good general base, um, you know, that allows their their specific abilities to shine. You know, the reason that they're even on this stage is they have really unique abilities. They are special people. Um, you know, they do have unique qualities that the rest of the world doesn't, and that's the reason they can be a professional athlete. So, letting those abilities and and making them center stage, uh, we want to make sure that there's no holes that they're going to fall through.
1: Okay. So, um, what types of injuries
0: do you think are most preventable? I think uh you know, when I saw that question, you know the first thing that popped up is you know overuse injuries, okay um overuse injuries are probably the most important thing that we can uh, identify as as preventable um and and it's really hard to say that we can prevent injuries, but we can do our best to decrease the likelihood of them happening. Um, nothing's 100% preventable. And we also don't know what we prevent because it never happened.
1: Right. Uh, So
0: it's hard for us to quantify, you know, how, how many injuries we're actually preventing. Um, you know, something, uh, that's really important and and, and overlooked in the programming process is it's part of the needs analysis is to look at, well, what are the common injuries that happen in these sports? These sports aren't, uh, new by any means, you know. People have been playing football for a really, really long time, and uh, we can look at you know uh, over a long period of time what are the common things that are happening to the specific positions and to the and, and to the players, and uh, we can address those. It's really hard to prevent. Uh, contact injuries though, and football, such a heavy contact sport, uh, especially, you know, the head injuries or any broken bones or joint injuries that happen through contact. Uh, But what we can do is make sure that they have, you know, like we talked about before, good recovery capacity. Um, And if they're training and they're training, well, you know, bones become stronger ligaments become stronger um I think about the uh the football player and I think it was at USC that he was bench pressing and uh fell on his neck or something dropped it on his neck um and and you know he's able to walk away I think he was able to walk away from that because he had a really really strong neck um so, you know, building a you know a body that that that's strong through uh proper weight training definitely helps with uh with, with some contact injuries. Um if it doesn't prevent it at all, it may even just lessen what happens to a degree. But like I said, contact injuries are really, really hard to prevent. Right. Um but we can take a look at the overuse ones. Um and there are some metrics that we can take a look at to see are people overtraining? Um you know, one thing that, you know, that's been used is heart rate variability. So um there's some tools out there like BioForce and OmegaWave. So these are technologies that people can use on a daily basis uh, that'll give them some information about what's their level of readiness for that day. Is this a day where your nervous system is primed up, ready to go, fully recovered? Or is this a day where your nervous system is a little depressed because maybe you're throwing a little too much work? Maybe you weren't giving enough sleep. Maybe you weren't getting the proper nutrition. And maybe this is a day that, you know, if you try to take it, you know, all the way to the max, that your body will... You know, throw a protective mechanism there, like like an injury, uh, and make sure that doesn't happen to you. Because as, as, as effective as training can be for building up the body, uh, training can also be the reason that people get hurt. If they, you know, train too frequently, they train too hard too frequently, or they just don't provide the recovery capacities like sleep and nutrition in the proper amounts. So you're saying that this... These devices like track your heart rate and they could tell when? Yeah. So what they do is they track something called heart rate variability. And that's the, the space in between beats of your heart. Okay. So when a person has a really good firing nervous system, meaning that they're their sympathetic system, so that's their fight or flight system, okay. is is low and depressed, and their parasympathetic system is is high and normal where it should be. So that means they're they're calm, they're cool, they're relaxed, they're not in this threatened heightened state. Um, we see a lot of variability in between the beats. That there's not this regular space in between beats. That it might be, you know, short and then medium and then short again and then long. And that there's a lot of irregularity. And that's a good thing. When the nervous system starts to become stressed, we throw a lot of extra work at the body. We don't give the body the recovery capacity that it needs, or the resources that it needs, like sleep. Again, I can't, I can't uh, harp on that one enough. Um, then we start seeing very regular spacing in between beats and that's a sign that the sympathetic nervous system so your 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 threatening heightened nervous system is 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 up there and your relaxed calm nervous system is a little bit depressed. Um that's a sign that you know maybe we shouldn't be doing something so strenuous that day and maybe we should be adding more recovery capacity things like you know like hydration sleep and and nutrition. Okay. That's
1: interesting and I think that's a good uh, transition to the electrical panel. Cause you talked about the nervous system. And so how do you guys work on improving? Like, it, it, can you improve the nervous system? And like, how does that go into building a body of resilience or an athlete of resilience?
0: Yeah, you know, in my opinion, I think the, the elite athletes are the ones that have the elite nervous systems. Okay. Um, I don't think we can rewire people, but I think we can do is upgrade their hardware a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, it, we're never going to get somebody to, you know, jump from, you know, a 10-inch vertical to a 45-inch vertical. That's never going to happen. Uh, but we can make increases, you know, at the lowest level and at the highest level. And, and that's just going to happen through regular training, you know. Um, sometimes we see people that are strong, uh, that are not very explosive. And sometimes we see the opposite, people who are very explosive and springy, but they're not very strong. Uh, so we want to figure out, well, what kind of person is this? We still want to work on, you know, increasing their, their strengths, but at the same time, you know, we're going to look at those qualities that could be better. So we're going to try to get the the really strong person more explosive and a little bit more elastic and a little bit more springy. Uh, and that'll transfer over into, you know, increasing their nervous system. And we're also going to get the, uh, the athlete who is, you know, very springy, very explosive. We may try to get them a little bit stronger. Um, and the first gains that are made through, uh, any resistance training or adaptations in the nervous system. So when you perform any motion repetitively over and over again, especially with great intensity, like we're adding weights or we're asking them to jump higher, um, that's just training the nervous system and sending this response over and over again, like to the muscles, to right? the to the muscle from from the brain through the spinal cord through the nerves to the muscle. And by us doing that, we're building that pathway. Okay. So we're taking uh let's call it like a little path in the woods and we're turning it into a super highway. Right. Uh, the people who have done this over and over again, repeatedly um, you know, that's kind of what's referred to as muscle memory. Um, you know, that's just an efficient nervous system and an efficient pathway to get from the brain.
1: Okay. Um, so going from the electrical panel and then let's talk about like the exterior, the aesthetics, like you have, you know, these big, huge, you know, middle linebackers who have 22 inch biceps or whatever, and they still get hurt. Like how could a guy like, um, Devon Kennard, who is someone that you've worked with, right? He's a linebacker for the Giants. Yeah, he's a linebacker for the Giants, and he comes in for some recovery work. Yeah, so he he you know was kind of labeled with this injury prone tag, and you guys helped him kind of turn that that around. So, you know, from the outside, you look at this guy and you be like, "How the hell did you get hurt? Like you're this you know monster of a human being." And then you know, so how do like how does it relate? Like your exterior muscles, like the big muscles, to actually getting hurt on the field, or is it
0: luck or looks can be deceiving. Okay. Uh, you know, just because somebody's put together really, really well uh, doesn't mean that they don't have those issues that we talked about. Um, and, and somebody like Devon or any athlete for that matter, you know, we we don't try to look past uh, their physical looks, or excuse me, we we try to look past their physical looks, and we we want to make sure that uh, that things are working like they're supposed to, even though you know they they may look like they should be on the cover of a magazine. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, and th- and that goes back to the things that we talked about before. You know, making sure that their their movement skills um, are where they should be, and that they have the good qualities that we're looking for. Uh, making sure that they have that good postural alignment, and they're starting in, in a good position. Um, you know, and a lot of, a lot of the times these people look like this not only because they train really hard, but they, they, they won the genetic lottery. Uh, you know, it's saying, you know, the, the, the first step to becoming a professional athlete is, is picking your parents. Right. So, um, <laughs> if you can make sure that you have good parents and you have good genetics that are going to get passed on to you, you know, that plus training, you know, it, it helps. Uh, there's some people that, you know, no matter how hard they train, you know, they, they may never make it to the, to the professional level. And I think that's, you know, understandable. Uh, but at the same time, there's some people that are really, really blessed, uh, genetically that plus, you know, taking care of themselves, uh, all along the way and making sure they have longevity, you know, uh, a professional athletic career, you know, starts, you know, when, when, they're young. So they have to make sure that they were able to be successful at every single level all along the way, uh, to get to the, to the, where they're trying to go. And then once they're there, the the battle becomes staying there. Yeah. Because uh, just because you get there doesn't mean that you know you're going to be there forever. I think people like Devon who take a very proactive approach, uh, maybe because you know they've gotten that injury label and they don't like it. Um, you know, you need to figure out well what could I be doing better. Um, you know I like the saying that youth is wasted on the young so when you're young you think you're invincible and you think nothing's ever going to happen to For you sure, yeah. and then you know as these you know great young athletes enter you know, you know a place like the NFL uh, now all of a sudden they're surrounded by every other single human being who was you know young hungry uh, uh, successful and resilient their entire career so now they're surrounded a bunch of people just like them uh, so now it becomes a game of you know millimeter and inches as far as what are they doing to protect themselves and, and make sure that they're uh, not going to, you know, uh, how are they to make sure that they're not going to get uh, things that are possibly, you know, preventable.
1: Right. And that, that kind of reminds me like when I think back to how I played football, like I was like, I was such an idiot. Because I try to run people over. I was like always seeking contact. I'm like, well it's no wonder I lasted, you know, only until high school, even though I wanted to play in college, because like that's how I played, you know. Like you need to not look to run someone over when you're, you know, on the fifty yard line, like wait until you're on the goal line, then try to do that or you're trying to get a first down. Like there's things that you could do that will help save you, and I think when you kinda change your mentality of like all right, maybe I'm going to not sacrifice my body for, for this thing or
0: whatever. I think when you're young, you know, again, you think you're invincible and you think, you know, injuries aren't going to happen to me. Um, even when you see it happen to other people, you always look around and you go, that, that's never going to be me. But I think as we get older and we get wiser and uh, we experience more, uh, the reality starts to settle in that we're not invincible. And that we do need to do things that are going to help us have a a long and successful career uh, or a long and successful life for that matter. So, uh, you know, you have to, you know, preserve, you know, the things that you have um, and make sure that we're taking steps before it it gets broken. Um, You want to think about, you know, your car. You're going to take your car in for maintenance and hopefully you're not just taking your car in uh, whenever you hear the squeak or whenever the wheel falls off. You know, we want to we want to take care of those things before they happen. Um, and I think, you know, having, uh, you know, a team uh, like good strength professionals or a skilled physical therapist who can take a look at a, a well-moving human being and and see are there any glaring issues that may lead to something later down the road and address those issues.
1: Okay. So when you do have an athlete coming back from an
0: injury, how do you approach that athlete's training regimen? You know, I think the some of the physical therapists could uh, – could tell you a little bit more about what happens early on in the process. Uh, but that's when they're pretty fragile mentally. Um, you know, most athletes have. These dreams and aspirations of you know, uh, a- be lining it all the way you know through their athletic career all the way to the pros, and then an injury happens and it's earth shattering. They don't uh, think about that. They don't yeah. think about that, and that wasn't in the plan. And they think you know why did this happen to me? Um, and to be someone who is extremely active and very very able, and to be brought to a position of uh, of fragility and to be you know so vulnerable, uh, I think that's that's hard for a lot of athletes to deal with. I'm sure a lot of the people that you've interviewed in your podcast have, have hit on that. Yeah, um, you know, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to deal with injury and especially to be brought down to that baseline and vulnerable level. Um, but to know that, you know, you have good people around you. So the, our therapists are parabolic are amazing and uh, they do a really, really great job of, of, of giving people hope and understanding that, Hey, you know, this may be a few days out of surgery and you may feel like crap right now but it's going to get better. Um, and not only are you going to get better, hopefully we're going to even supersede to where you were before. Um, and I I think that happens, you know, surrounding yourself with, with good support. You know, it happens at the professional level and us at parabolic, you know, what we try to do is, is provide that for, for every athlete, for every person for that matter, that, you know, if you get injured, you know, we're going to take you from, from injury through the rehabilitation process. And then after the rehabilitation process is coming to a close, we're going to transition you over to training. So we're going to see continued increases in, in strength and mobility and these qualities that were built all the way from, you know, being injured day one, you know, the process doesn't stop when the rehab stops, you know, the process stops when, when you do and hopefully you never do. Right. So, uh, you know, we try to, you know, we say bridge the gap so that, you know, when the rehab process is coming to an end, that's when the training process starts. Uh, sometimes there's a good blend in between and, uh, a lot of our clients, even, even the professional athletes, they participate in both. So yes, they're training. Uh, but at the same time they're also um, they're also they're also you know participating in, in prehabilitation, making sure they're taking care of their bodies and if they are hurt and there are, is an issue, we're also taking care of that too.
1: Okay How do you I'm thinking of Burton here, but how, how do you keep an athlete from almost creating their own setbacks in terms of like pushing too hard too soon or just
0: have that like more is better mentality? Uh, with an athlete like that, especially the more is better. Um, it's probably the hardest part is limiting them and trying to to help them understand that more may not be generally better. Um, you know, sometimes it's easy to convey that sometimes it's a little bit more difficult and it's also hard for us to, uh, control what they do outside of here. But, you know, I'm a big believer that if we can build education with our athletes and with our clients, and we can give them a solid reason why we're doing things, uh, they buy into the process a little bit more, as opposed to just telling them they're doing things wrong and that they should not be doing stuff. Um, You know, I'm not going to hear, I'm not here and I'm not going to tell people to, you know, do this, don't do that. But I'm going to tell people, hey, this is why we shouldn't be doing this. And this is why we shouldn't be doing that. And, uh, you know, everybody's their own human being and they make their own choices. The best we can do is... uh, give them the resources so they can make the correct choices Okay. that hopefully, you know, that, that we can build some education in them. We can teach them these things before they happen. Again, I don't know how many injuries I've prevented, but if I can reach a few athletes and get them to understand that, you know, they should stay to the middle of the road and and not to the extremes uh, that that's probably more conducive to a successful long-term athletic career uh, than the people who take it to the extreme and end up getting injured or burnt out.
1: Interesting. I really like that, that statement. Um,
0: So you were probably an athlete at some point in time. What sports did you play growing up? So when I was younger, I participated in a lot of sports. Uh, As I went through high school, I really found the combat sports, especially like wrestling, uh, to be a sport that I really, really enjoyed. Um, so, you know, now as an adult, uh, you know, wrestling's over, but now I do Brazilian jiu uh, two or three times a week. Uh, and I find that to be just an unbelievable sport. Um, like I said, I've always gravitated towards the combat sports. So, you know, working with, you know, the NFL players uh, and, and the high level college players, um, I can understand, you know, the battle that happens on the football field. It may not be. Uh, you know, with punches and kicks, but, you know, they're definitely hitting each other and they're hitting each other hard. Um, and by working with the MMA athletes, I mean, they go into a cage in their underwear and, and they're fighting another human being. I that's hard for me to watch. As, hey. appo- as opposed to football players going on, they're all armored up.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the combat that happens, you know, on the line between the lineman and the defensive lineman, uh, you know, the battle that happens, you know, with a running back when, you know, uh, the defenders are trying to take him down, uh, you know, I, I can understand that. Um, and, you I always enjoyed the combat of, you know, two human beings trying to uh, impose their will on the other human being and, right. you know, the, the the stronger, more prepared, more skilled and more intelligent, uh, um, you know, person will come out on, on top. Right. And in some cases, the dumber person comes out on top When in, in terms of me
1: when I used to try to run people over. But <laughs> I, got, I guess the, the, those people got the last laugh. Every dog has his day. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, how has you working with MMA athletes and these NFL guys like helped you become a better performance coach?
0: Uh, you know, I've seen people who really try to to give it their all. Um, you know, the ones who actually make it to the to the UFC or to the NFL. You know, these are the ones who've done almost everything right. Um, and to see someone exercise the discipline that it takes to get to that level. You know, uh, the football players who are in our combine program, um, you know, the regional professional MMA fighters who are trying to make it to the UFC, you know, they forego... 90% of life, you know, they, they can't go out and party, um, and and hope to be successful. They can't go out and do the same things as, you know, other people, their age, uh, you know, they're even giving up on things like, you know, uh, postponing a a successful career outside of sports. And, uh, they have to sacrifice all this with the hopes that they get it to, to, to where they're trying to go and, and not even, is it guaranteed the, the odds are against them. You know, if you look at the numbers of the people who actually make it versus the people who don't, uh, there's a lot of people who tried and didn't. and, you know, luck definitely plays into, you know, plays its part, but I think uh, the ones that I've seen make it and the ones who have earned it, uh, those are the ones that have really opened my eyes as to how hard you should work for a goal, how focused you need to be, how determined you need to be, and how you need to surround yourself with the right support systems that, you know, it's, it's not done alone. You know, the, the right. one person may get there, but it was because of the people that they surrounded themselves with, um, the attitude and, and uh, the mentality that they took through the process. Right. Um, and their ability to have a great relationship with failure. You know, you have to be able to get punched in the face, you got to be able to get knocked on your butt um, and, and get back up. And you got to be able to do that over and over and over again without taking it negatively and at the same time doing the exact opposite, uh, taking it positively and as learning, you know, hey, what, what did I what did I learn from this mistake? What did I learn from this negative outcome? Right. Why did this not go, you know, the way that I had planned? Um, and if you can keep doing that over and over again, you know, that, that may lead to success. And again, like you said, nothing's guaranteed. Um, and the margin of success is very, very slim. But, uh like I said, the ones who I've seen be successful and the ones I've seen you know keep their head down and stay humble uh it's really eye opening to how that transcends through uh, all realms of life
1: right that's that's great. Uh, we're coming up on time here, but I'll just have two more questions so for the guys who have come through your pr- program or a combine program and didn't make it how have you how did you see those guys respond
0: uh You know, some people you know can't believe that they didn't get to where they where they should have, Um, and I've seen guys who should have made it, in my opinion, but did not. And you know, again, I'm not uh, you know staff on an NFL team, so you know the NFL teams may be looking for stuff different than I even know. Um, But I think you know you know they say that success is where um, uh, preparation meets luck. And, uh, so I think you need a little bit of luck and I think you need to be prepared and I think you need to have the right opportunity, um, for the ones that didn't make it, you know, that hopefully they have the same, uh, relationship with failure and the other things as they did with that. And, uh, they will make it just not in, you know, the professional sports realm, but in other realms of life right. and, and, and that I've seen.
1: Not what they thought, but there, there's, they could take, they, they take themselves with them everywhere they go, right? Success takes many faces.
0: Yep. Okay,
1: last question. What advice do you have for athletes who don't have access to a facility like
0: um, Parabolic? I'd say, you know, surround yourself with people that you trust. I think that's number one. Uh, you know, make sure that you're not going to do it alone. Uh, a lot of times athletes get, you know, uh, they cross the, the line of, of confidence into cockiness. And I think when that happens, you can be blinded to a lot of the things that, uh, that you should be working on uh, that you have the opportunity to but you're, you're not looking at. Um, I think another thing is, you know, it's unbelievable how much information we have access to with the internet. So, you know, get on the internet, find good resources uh, and don't stick to one resource. You know, look around and see what what kind of information is out there. Um, if you're constantly bombarded by, by information um, and, and you're unsure about what to do, ask somebody, and if you can ask the right person, even point you in the right direction, that may help. So I think education helps. Uh, I, I think having the right mindset helps, and I think surrounding yourself by, with, with good people helps. Uh, so, you know, if, if it's not us at Parabolic, there's a lot of people that are doing things right. It's not just us. Uh, there's a lot of really competent professionals out there, so go find a you know really competent uh, strength professional or physical therapist, um, and you know everybody will give you some information. Maybe you know it's not you know entering the program, but maybe you offer to buy somebody a cup of coffee or take them out to lunch, and you can get pointed in the right direction.
1: All right, thanks a lot, Angela. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge with the audience and to teach athletes how to create a resilient body.